Okay, so we're back to pick up where we left off last time. A little bit abruptly, I think, um, with the uh, transition back to Terra and then the world of the espers. Um, so, what what did you make of that little interlude? It's it's kind of strange. Um, it is definitely strange. Uh, like we get this sort of. I mean, we we've kind of been touching on on flashbacks throughout this game for a while, and this is. This is a sort of weird flashback, seeing as it's not one of the main characters who is in the process of having it. It's it's like we get it from this brand new person who we've never met before. Who, you know, why should we listen to this this idiot? Um, and uh, I was confused about that. First of all, is this is this possibly some kind of like psychic flashback on Tara's part, or like what is our perspective here? Yeah, it's it's really hard to say. Like. I, I would kind of guess that it's a combination of Terra and also the newly rescued Maduin himself. Um, although it's really kind of difficult to to concretely, you know, argue that that's the case. Like, that there's no real evidence for it except that you bring Maduin, who is Terra's father, to Terra, and then she has this flashback. Um, yeah, that so that makes sense to me that it's a kind of it's a kind of joint thing. It's almost like the Edgar Sabin one in that way, actually. Mm -hmm. that yeah. they sort of collaborate in some fashion to, to make this thing happen. And I mean, I didn't really notice if the 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 characters are seeing this or if this is sort of going on in some kind of storytelling mode for the players' sake. Um does Tara like experience some of this from her father's like transmission to her or, or something like that yeah um, it, it definitely does seem to have a like recollection sense okay. to it cool um i mean we do get we get the filter <laughs> the the sort of like sepia tint through a lot of that although that could just be the world that we're dealing with and not really any any concrete evidence of of what's going on um so, you know, again, there's not a lot to go on as far as the framing is concerned. It's really very ambiguous. Okay. No, that makes sense. I mean, I can, I can go with this to a certain extent that, like, this is how a story like this could be effectively conveyed and that mm -hmm. maybe we shouldn't worry too much about how much of this is happening for Terra and how much of this is happening just for us. Know, yeah, it game. works either way. Like it, it, it yeah. delivers the information. It's compelling. Like you, you understand what's going on, even if you're not sure why it's happening in the context of like <laughs> the game as it's as it's yeah. been so far. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't want to push too hard on that, but I think it's interesting as far as Tara's development as a character, because of course, at this point, she gains the power to morph. She mm -hmm. she can do this um, new ability now which is, I mean, as awesome as her magic was when we started the game, yeah. as, as kind of surprising, I guess, um, that she can now change her form to, to the Esper mode and um, has some pretty considerable, you know, abilities um, that are unlocked as a result as far as, like, the, the power that she wields. Like, mm -hmm. this is to magic what magic was to, you know, normal folks back at the start. Right. Um, yeah, and so she, I, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, connected with her realization um, 
that like she has this relationship to the Esper uh, Maduin in particular, who you play as in this little part. So, mm-hmm. what's going? What is going on in this part of the of the game? This is something that did actually happen. Um, it seems to be when the empire uh, breaks through. But first, but first, it's this girl who comes through, right, to the Esper world. Yeah. Um, Madonna is her name in my version. Um, Which is evocative. Yeah. Um, Madeline is another translation, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's, how did she get there? Um, it, that also doesn't seem especially clear as I recall. Like, you get the sense that she must have been an imperial citizen or something, if only because of the location of the portal. Um, like, it's, it, it's right next to the empire, as we very quickly discover. Right. Um, that's that so, eastern kind of camp that we couldn't get yeah before, there's right? like a there's a little camp and anyone who spots you will immediately kick you out of the camp and there's a bridge which you can see like with the with the airship but there's nowhere to land on the other side of the bridge except going through the camp uh, um, which kind of forces forces you to you know forces you to go through the camp if you want to get there, except that the camp won't let you get there. So <laughs> it's very much locked off at this point in the game. Um, but just with that in mind, it seems like this woman who shows up must be some kind of refugee or must be, or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, just because it's, it's difficult to explain her presence in any other way, but she is alone. Like she's not guided. It doesn't even seem deliberate that she's there. You're just, like you, you, when you play as Maduin, you you sort of wander around. You are the gatekeeper. This is your job. Yeah. Um, and upon doing your job, you discover this woman um, who's not supposed to be here. Like this is this is Esper territory. Please leave. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Everyone else seems like way more concerned about this actually than Maduin. Um, he sort of you know takes her in. Uh, seems to want to try coexisting, as he puts it, right? Uh, or somebody yeah. puts it that way, I think, yeah. I, I have to wonder if that's a bit of a translation kerfuffle there. Um, like, <laughs> just, you know, because it, 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 the, the whole scene is, you know, relatively explicit by JRPGs are concerned. Yeah. Like, there's that whole dancing in the sky bit, which is very metaphorically sex. Um, yeah. But um, it, it seems that there's definitely a connection between Madonna and Maduin in that sense. Like, they are not just coexisting. Um, he has a reason for protecting her, for wanting to keep her around. Like, he is smitten um, in some way. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's roughly humanoid, um, as are most of them, in this little village that we sort of explore. Um, she is obviously... A uh, very beautiful human, not just any human. Her name again, Madonna. Pretty mm-hmm. evocative. Um, oh, sorry, my my buddy here is just kind of chiming in. Um, yes, and then, but so she, yeah, she finds her way there. Um, there, I think there is a definite translation issue here because I, I read that one of the lines that um, Maduin says about being like tired of the human world or something is mm-hmm. supposedly. So it's supposed to be from the girl. Um, okay. Yeah. So that is supposed to be her line. So it's, yeah, it's even, sense. you know, possible that she like by her very, you know, uh, 
what do you call it? I mean, desperation or something like found the way out of the world that she was so unhappy in, you know, something like this. Um, but at any rate, um, this gate does seem permeable at, at that point. And it's like sort yeah. of, yeah, maybe nobody's fault in particular, but there was, there was at least a degree of intention. Right. And, um, yeah. and it's on both sides. And d then <laughs> uh, sure enough, the empire, um, they find it, right. They, they mm -hmm. kind of capitalize on this thing. And so I found that kind of unsettling, I guess that like this very thing that was, you know, freedom and, sort of delight for these two characters is also the, the, the possibility of, you know, enslavement and, you know, terrible uh, destructive potential that, that we see coming out of um, humans finding their way to the Esper world. And mm -hmm. so, uh, could you just kind of like, maybe, um, I don't know, think about for, for me for a minute here while I, while I try to think this through, like what, what is it to go to the Esper world? And, why is it that these two very different intentions can can take you there? Yeah, I mean, it seems to have like sort of multiple multiple analogs in the whole business of storytelling that Final Fantasy is mining from here. Like, on the one hand, there's a very clear like this is the land of fairy vibe. Um, like, this is this alternate world. It connects to our own. It's got its own population of people who hang out there who are doing their own thing and you know it, it's alien and they are powerful and like it's none of our business and we should probably keep our noses out of it um like that element is very much there which seems to connect to to you know old fairy stories and like the medieval tradition of the fae altogether. um but on the other side like just the way that the empire exploits this like, I mean, on the one hand, I'm thinking of, like, the Esper world as an arsenal, almost. Like, that's, it's definitely how, um, how Emperor Gestal seems to see it. Like, this is a resource to be tapped. Um, and I think of, I think, too, especially from, like, Japanese culture and perspective of, like, Godzilla, you know, awakening. Um, this being a power that was better left untouched now awake and potentially dangerous uh, out there hurting us um so you know both of those both of those identities seem very much present here um like it, it's not just a power beyond our control it's a power that should be on be beyond our control that we are attempting to exploit anyway yeah. Um, and which will cause havoc, like complete destruction. Um, yeah, the, the idea that like the Farian component there is um, a, a, a key or a, um, I don't know, like a, a connection right, to something uh, of, of, our, um, of our own doing, right? Mm -hmm. Like that we in some way could have coexisted possibly um, maybe at some point in the past, they, there was a kind of exchange between these worlds, um, yeah. but that something has happened uh, to make at least the espers really leery of humans. And then to make the humans, um, you know, that much greedier to, um, to, to reconnect, to, to find their way back 
Um, yeah. So th there's a lot of, I think, there's a lot of psychology, you know, being played out there, uh, as well as the, um, the kind of fairy tale or um, sci-fi, um, you know, power fantasy or, or whatever it is that, that's happening here. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I think that the connection between um, the espers and the the fairies or something like that uh, is for me that's partly suggested by um, the way this is treated in in Final Fantasy two or, or mm -hmm. four right there's there's right. like an underworld in that game where the um, summoned monsters live mm -hmm. and um, the way that it's translated and the way that they're represented there, they, they definitely do sort of look like uh, my conception, I guess, as a kid of, of fairies or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, here, it's a lot less clear, uh, um, like what espers actually are. Um, yeah. Their name seems to come from like the initials ESP, mm -hmm. right? Oh, hi, William. There you are. Uh, and so, I, I mean, but they each have, each of the ones that we've met at this point have names that seem to refer to sort of particular things in mythology too. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I feel like there's, there's a lot of sort of hand waving at, at sources, but I, I'm having a really hard time sort of putting my finger on anything in particular. for. The yeah, game. and I think that that's intentional to some degree. Like Final Fantasy has has always had a sort of mishmash approach, like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks when it comes to mythology and the various traditions that it's mining here. Um, like the, all of the espers come from a wide assortment of different traditions. Um, like, in a, I mean, Maduin seems to be unique or relative to this game, um, but you've also got like Unicorn, which comes from you know, European and Celtic mythology. You've got Rama, who I think we, you know, tentatively identified as being one of the Hindu gods. Um, like, we again, in other games, we see Quetzalcoatl and Gilgamesh and Odin and, you know, just a wide variety of different sort of divine or quasi-divine beings that are just mined from a whole bunch of different traditions as though they all sort of reside peaceably in the realm of Final Fantasy. Um, and I think, you know, I think while in some ways we can get like themes that go along with these traditions in some respect, I suspect that, you know, the, that at least on this one, like trying to figure out like, is there an analog, a mythological analog for the espers that makes a sort of one-to-one -one comparison I, I think we're going to come up empty on that one like yeah definitely part fairy definitely part shinto nature tradition definitely part you know like fears of nuclear war like all of that seems to be bound up together um in what they are um like even the the technology of the empire contrasted with the natural esper world seems kind of front and center here yeah, um, yeah, but it again does not translate one to one. No, this this seems to me to be yeah this kind of thing that Final Fantasy that likes to circle around, um, and you, you have it in in lots of different forms, and you, you have it in you know the names of weapons and armor you know mm -hmm. that you'll find throughout the game, and that you'll see reappear throughout the series. You'll see it in the names of characters, and and you'll see it in 
of course, this kind of large scale themes and things, but um, but also in the summon monsters and um, and then other you know enemies and things. Yeah, there's this it, to the point that um, by the time you come to a game like um, Kingdom Hearts, mm-hmm. right? It's it's sort of just um, just just a tiny step further from what Final Fantasy always was. This kind of yeah mishmash of of all these different sorts of tropes and things, but it's it's very, I mean, there, there's something very satisfying about it that it doesn't get old when you you go back and play these games or you see them, you know, developed throughout the series. They're, the developers and the players alike are are clearly you know working through something um, in uh, in recurring to these particular um, sort of overlapping worlds yeah. <laughs> of uh, of myth of all, all sorts of yeah different sources and, and I, I think on some level that like if there is something to be drawn out of this um i suspect it's the fact that they're aiming for a sort of like archetype of archetypes and ur myth like in the, in the same way that you think of like star wars as being you know modeled after joseph campbell's hero with a thousand faces like let's have a hero that could belong to any tradition you know final fantasy is very much working the same way like there's always a hero and there's always a trickster and there's always an evil empire and like these arch concepts will recur over and over and over again, even at different technology levels or different levels of fantasy or even in like science fiction worlds with the underlying current being that like, yes, all of these myths are pointing to the same deep truths, um, the same observations about reality. And we can do that as well. We can also join that tradition and incorporate that tradition in the, in the doing. Um, Yeah, and I think it's a, a very interesting kind of transmission that you get too, though. Like, because if somebody does, you know, get curious about, say, a name like um, Madwin uh, or, or Madonna, for that matter, right? And you try to go and see, well, you know, since we have, you know, all information at our fingertips at all times, right. you just want to see, like, what's that name about? Well, you see that it isn't that easy to pinpoint things, even if you have a real story to go to. Like, because the very stories that you're, you're, you're sent towards. In the case of Madeline, it's a, it's a Irish myth, apparently, is people's best guess. And I haven't been able to find a like definitive or authoritative answer about this, but people seem to think it's from uh, a story about a character called Mael, M-A-E-L, uh, Duin, D-U-I-N. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a kind of quest um, called an Imran, a, a, a sea voyage quest, which is like a traditional sort of Irish tale motif or mode or something. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's itself a mashup of like, you know, the autochthonous uh, beliefs with like Christianity and some yep. mythology thrown, right? And they sort of like bounce around to these different magical islands. Like, I think that there's, there's just stranger and stranger stuff that the closer you try to look at any given thing. Um, and that's very instructive. I, I think that's mm-hmm. sort of, helps to explain why, you know, you get away with throwing all this stuff together um, again and again and just sort of seeing what comes out because, yeah, there's, there's something really uh, satisfying about, about yeah. um, wrestling with, you know, the idea of, say, a magical realm um, with a, a power 
greater than oneself or with, in this case, the, the mystery of one's own sort of origins, right? Um, for mm -hmm. Tara, which is the deepest sort of psychological, you know, problem to sort of uh, to tackle at a certain age, I guess. And I, I think like, I think even the, the, the act of looking the, is sort of prompted and encouraged and is sort of part of the game itself, honestly. Like, um, you know, this is not the first time I've heard it discussed that like Final Fantasy has caused people to go research, like what is Masamune? What is <laughs> Gilgamesh? Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I also think like, especially, I mean, with the sort of role of Maduin in the Celtic myths and um, like I, I've been slowly working my way through a three volume series um, by a scholar named Mircea Eliade. I think oh, he's sure. a Romanian scholar, yeah. um, but he did a three volume series called the history of religious ideas. Um, awesome. Starting from like Neolithic man and working all the way up to like the Protestant reformation and just sort of tracking all of these different mythological ideas, like from, conception to development to transformation to assimilation like he's talked about the the vedas and the hindu traditions he's talked about the taoists and the confucian traditions in china um about like archaeological evidence of burial practices of people who we have no written record of like so basically final fantasy but real. but that's the thing like <laughs> at the end of the day the deeper you go the yeah. more you find that you just don't know that yeah. like when you are trying to piece all this stuff together a no tradition is independent of any of the other traditions you can't boil it down to its like most basic form um, but also, you know, it doesn't take long before the water t like rises above your head. Um, like I keep emphasizing my students in my mythology class, you know, we, we get these Greek myths and these Roman myths as though they're cut from whole cloth. Right. Um, but they're very much the product of a really diverse and non un inconsistent tradition. Like I'll, I'll get questions from my students like, so um like was aphrodite actually zeus's daughter and it's like what do you mean actually <laughs> like one person tells it this way one person tells it that she's like the product of uranus being castrated um you know every every tradition is valid in its own right there's no there's no original source here or if there is it's buried so deep that we're never going to be able to find it um you know final fantasy seems to be at least somewhat intentionally an artifact of our time like a pure confusion of myths that we've inherited all of these disparate entities and rather than try and beat it into something coherent and consistent it's just no let's let it sit as is yeah. all of these things together because that's what's informed our culture no they're not going to make sense but that's the way it works. Like it's never made sense from day one. If you try and turn it into something logical and consistent, you will be baffled. But, but I think there's, there's a certain kind of internal coherence that you, that you arrive at though, right? Like for the purposes of what we're trying to do in Final Fantasy VI, right? Mm -hmm. we've, we've got to um, understand a certain amount about espers so as to not be like the empire, right? Which yes. mistreats them and uh, abuses and tortures. 
um, and, and has this kind of awful effect on the world, but to, um, but to also, right, not, uh, I think, to, to not go back to a kind of, um, uh, you know, separation between the worlds, that's, that's clearly not really going to work either uh, after what we've seen. Um, so we have to somehow get a kind of, um, get a kind of new uh, paradigm established, um, right? We, we, we have this kind of chaotic situation and it's, you know, getting worse, I guess, before it gets better. But, um, but there is a kind of, I don't know, like the, the espers do sort of come in these groups that are sort of recognizable. Um, they tend to have kind of counterparts to one another. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, you know, the most obvious example I would say is like Shiv, Shiva and yeah. right? they're, they're classically, uh, you know, opposed, but, but you throw into that, that opposition, this kind of mediating term of um, uh, Rama, mm -hmm. who's the thunder guy, right? So they, they sort of make a triad. And then, well, Rama came along with three others that he rescued. And if you look at what those three are like, I don't know, maybe you can see some kind of similarities there, um, right? You have a healing one, you have a powerful magic. I think I mean, we talked about those those four at the start when, when we got them. But, um, but at this point, we have, you know, so many uh, espers that we have to make some kind of coherent narrative about them if only to like figure out what's the best one to equip for for right now right what, yeah. what am i trying to do and and how can i best accomplish that um so i don't know so what what kinds of new um combos and strategies uh have you been exploring with your uh with your wealth of of esper of friends at this point yeah at this point it is a bit overwhelming like <laughs> and it's tough to to kind of pin down um you know any at least from where I'm sitting, it's tough to pin down any consistent strategy besides, you know, give, like, there are certain spells that you definitely want on lots of people. You want as many people as possible to know Cure. Oh, you yeah. want at least a few people to have, you know, basic spells like Fire or Lightning or, I guess it's Bolt in this game, Fire, Bolt, or Ice. Um, and you know, there's there's a there's a learning curve to all of these. Like, if you leave the Esper on a character long enough, they'll memorize the spell, and then you don't have to have the Esper equipped, and they can still cast the spell. Yeah. Um, so at this point, I'm kind of working a rotation where it's like I have some obvious healers, and I'm trying to get them to learn all of their spells, but I'm sort of like letting the Esper sit on a character until they've learned all the spell and then rotate it off and give it to somebody else. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's also like, it's a tough little shell game because at the same time, like some of the Espers have those abilities where if he's equipped and you level up, now you get a bonus stat, like you get a extra vitality or extra magic so yeah. you know it just incentivizes all the more that like we keep bismarck on the magic user in order to you know level her up um so you know there, there's that trickiness to it but i don't know like the espers also fit really important practical roles like if in battle okay. um Obviously, you've got a couple of healing espers like Unicorn and I think, um, what was it, Kirin? Yep. Um, 
but then you've also got you know your attack guys like Rama and Ifrit, even Maduin. I think is doing the he's doing one each of the fire, electric, and ice spells. Yeah, he teaches you those spells, but I think his summon is supposedly non-elemental damage. Yeah, which is kind of interesting to me. Anyway, yeah. And then you've also got Siren and other support um, yeah. guys who like have lots of status abilities like sleep or confuse. Um, so, you know, they're all useful, but they're all useful in different ways and they're all useful sort of in combination with one another. Um, right. No, so, there's, yeah, there's sort of, there's sort of a few different ways to, yeah, go about like, um, I, I agree though, the, the most, the most beneficial seems to be to rotate around mm-hmm. different characters. Right? you don't just leave an Esper on somebody, um, you, you share the wealth, right. And, mm-hmm. um, this goes back to this kind of endlessly customizable party system that we're offered at this point. Yeah. Um, right. And it's like, it's made very convenient for you because there's, there's incentives to sort of explore the world as well. Um, whether it be to, you know, try to find particular enemies, right. To leap and, mm-hmm. and rage with, with Gao, um, or just like, because you have an airship now, it's like, well, let's see where we can go, right. That we couldn't go before. And so, as you're doing that, it's natural to just keep swapping around the different, um, the different espers, the different spells you might want to learn. I was thinking the same thing as you, like the, the, pr- the priority has got to be getting uh, healing magic on as many mm-hmm. people as possible. Cause that, that always comes in handy. Yeah. Um, cure is invaluable, like both in and out of combat. Yeah, exactly. Like you can sort of wander around the field endlessly as long as you have a bunch of people who can cast cure outside of battle. Um, and not waste turns in battle doing it. And um, a few of these espers also have, you know, kind of overlapping um, magic that they'll teach. Yeah, you can use, you can learn cure from both yeah. Kirin and Unicorn. I think I actually just picked up Seraphim too, and you can learn it from her as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can um, buy, is that the one that you buy from somebody in town? Or um, yeah, either that or you buy it at the, the, the auction house, right? Uh, yeah, he wasn't the one at, at the auction house. I okay. like, I, I forget. I mean, I was trying to do side quests and found that, you know, there's not really a lot open, which is kind of counterintuitive. Usually when you get the airship, it's like, and now the world is available. Please <laughs> go investigate, see what you can find. Um, but this time around, it was, it was pretty closed. Uh, but I did find a thief hanging out in a forest in at like the back area of one of the towns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, "Hey, I found this thing. Do you want it?" And it's Seraphim, <laughs> like he's really somehow good. landed on uh, some of the you know Esper stone thing that had flown away from the from the um, uh, from Kefka's laboratory, apparently. Yeah, yeah. That I found it really interesting that the way that you find these things at this stage of the game is by buying them, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about this a little bit before about the sort of economic like theme going on here um that apparently is another one of the um notable mistranslations i I found out that that line that we were confused by um Mm -hmm. when setzer says like you know empire is good for business it's made me rich it turns out that's a that's a that's completely um backwards right what he actually says is it's really making his business sort of like dry up or or, you know oh wow yeah so it turns out that that's like him starting to realize that he may as well like help you 
because it's yeah. just like you know it's actually in his best interest exactly. to do so yeah yeah so that that i found kind of curious but that you know yeah the way that you sort of progress at this point is by getting lots of loot um spending immense amounts of money at the auction shop um to uh <laughs> right to pick up like unique items essentially mm -hmm. um also there's uh there's some delightful like prank items for sale the um the chocobo uh if you if you go back in a number of times eventually they'll they'll put a chocobo up for sale that's a talking chocobo all right then. you cannot you cannot bid on like even if you bid on it the the other guy will bid like you know 10 times whatever um so that he can give this chocobo to his spoiled son uh later. yeah it's it's That's hilarious yeah it's awesome um so there's this like this 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 sort of self mockery all right of like the kind of wealth um that is like you know status giving or or whatever it is like and there's that element of this game as a kind of great you know brand right this mm -hmm. if you put the name final fantasy on a game it's gonna sell uh people are gonna buy it and so i think there's a, an element of um yeah self-mockery there too um, yeah you, know, you you purchase magic in in our world that's that's where you get <laughs> uh that's that's where all these great stories have have gotten us in some sense uh, but at the same time it's you know kind of striking based on like what we were observing just a little bit ago where you know what makes what makes the empire wrong in their interactions with espers is their attempts to exploit it to turn it into you know something that they can use and you know a tool like there's something really kind of gross about buying espers yeah. Uh, yeah. you know because remember like we were told a while ago that you know an esper doesn't transfer its power unless it dies willingly mm -hmm. um so you know can you is that really something that you should be able to to move around in a transaction like is that the way this magic is supposed to work um that i found interesting too because there's this thing about um this the sealing of the gate right um mm -hmm. that takes place here and I'm still, I'm very unclear on like the ins and outs of all this, but so at some point, um, a number of espers came through into the normal world. Um, some of them seem to have uh, been there longer than others. And so I'm wondering mm -hmm. if some of these that we're buying now are like older ones that died at some past point and are it not ones that came through recently. Um, but there's also this sort of moment like within the recent history where, you know, um, Maduin and Tara, right, the baby Tara and her mother mm -hmm. come through. Um, and that, at that point, all of the ones that basically were in the, the research facility, right, were also sort of kidnapped and taken. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so there's, there's this idea, I guess, that the, the kind of magic that um, has been absorbed is maybe not the only kind of magic there is, right? There's this ancient war we heard about a while ago, mm -hmm. um, somewhere in the background. Um, and so, yeah, and so part of that, um, that magic seems to be about like sealing itself away from humans. Yeah. That, that um, the, a couple of the ones that you buy, I think, actually are um, defensive spells also, mm -hmm. which, which I thought was kind of interesting, right? All three that you buy in, in, a, in that, because Seraph too is a healing spell. So they yeah. all have this idea, like part of what magic is about is like concealing itself and 
and warding itself from misuse. And that's, that's the part that somehow has, um, has actually broken down here. Um, well, I guess we aren't, we aren't sure yet to what extent that, that, that wall is going to be breached though. Um, right. that, that was put up when, uh, Maduin and his, his little family were, were kind of chucked out, um, at the end of the flashback. Um, yeah. So, uh, so where else can you go? I mean, like you can, you can buy some espers, you can mm -hmm. fly around. Um, there's somewhere in the far East of the world map. There's a town. Um, did you try going in there? Yes. Um, I did go in there. I recognized Strago and realized I was, I was not here at the right time. Yeah. And everybody, literally everybody <laughs> says you're a stranger. Yeah. Or, you know, we, we, there's nothing I have to say to you. Like, they're all very close-lipped, and it's very obvious that this is, this is going to be plot-relevant later, but, but not now. Yeah. Um, so, we, so we walked around, and I was like, you know, this is, this is a really uncomfortable place to be. Like, there's even this joke in there where, you know, this one guy tells you, oh, don't talk to the innkeeper. He hates strangers. Yeah. And I just looked at Sarah, and I'm like, this guy has picked the worst possible job. <laughs> like... Uh. <laughs> Why would you become an innkeeper if you don't like strangers? And, you know, you walk in and he's like, oh, I don't know who you are, so I'm going to charge 4,000 kill every night that you want to stay here. <laughs> this is why we want to no cure. Yeah. So don't have to go to <laughs> Yeah. No more of this, you know, ridiculous outsized innkeeper fees um, between getting robbed in Vector and, and this highway robbery. Like... <laughs> Nope, nope. We'll I tried looking everywhere for um for Shadow because I'm supposed to like find him at an inn somewhere. I looked. I feel like I looked in every inn and pub, and I haven't found him still. Yeah. So I'm starting to worry that I like missed my chance to uh to again sort of like buy his you know participation in my party. Yeah, I know he will come back. Like, the, there is a way to miss Shadow and not have him for the second half of the game, but it's not at this point that you oh. screw it up. Okay, um, and you like, can you can catch up on the uh, the the soldier and his girl. Um, mm -hmm. If you missed that, I think you can do that. You can obviously revisit um, shops and things if you missed, you know, buying yep. or finding some item somewhere. Um, and I I personally confirmed that you can go to um, Figaro and have the cutscene between Edgar and Sabin if you nice. haven't already. Um, so we did that. Excellent. Okay. Um, there's also there's a there's an island uh, kind of on its own out in the ocean. Where yeah. You walk around there. Uh, you want to save the game because there's there's a boss level opponent like hiding in the woods there, uh, mm -hmm. who will wreck you. Yeah. So, I yeah. I, as soon as I saw that island, I was like, "All right, Sarah. There's probably something really scary here. So I'm gonna walk around in the forest and see if I can find it." And I like saved the game directly beforehand and I walked into the forest and literally the next thing that happened was I encountered one of those stupid first level bunny rabbits in the cabbages. <laughs> Not even two of them, just one. And she's like, yep, I'm real scared. <laughs> that's awesome that that's the other kind of enemy you find here. <laughs> just very anticlimactic. Um, I wanted to fight that dude because I wanted to test my skills, but I was not ready. I was not yeah. ready. Um, he's he's heavy duty. Um, yeah. The other thing uh, we did, we went to, we went back to Vector to see if we could explore the place. And there's a giant robot thing that blocks it. Um, Guardian. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like you, you, 
you have to you cannot damage him at all like we tried magic we tried fighting it's always zero damage like he never retaliated against me which is probably good he probably would have wrecked me in one shot if he did but (laughs) yeah the only option was to run away so i mean the game offers you all this stuff and then it sort of just stonewalls you right like you, Mm -hmm. you can't do anything in practically any place you go um that you haven't done already um which is, I don't know, like a little bit odd as a choice on their part. But, um, but again, it's kind of fun. It's sort of like it, gives, it, it fits with the very freewheeling sort of um, atmosphere of the game uh, and, and the party and everything. So I, I found this to be a really fun part of the game myself. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice to just wander around, to just see old things, to look for old towns and locations. Um, at the same time, though, you know, you want some reward for going around and doing all this yeah. stuff. Um, and I know, you know, like when you get the airship in Final Fantasy VII or Final Fantasy VIII or even in some of the earlier entries like Final Fantasy IV, the world really does open up. Like there are side quests to be done, things yeah. to find, um, like stuff that has not been available up until this point that suddenly is um, so I was kind of su- surprised that like, you know, they do finally give you the keys to the airship and it's like, go to Narsh. And if you don't, there's nothing else. So just go to Narsh. Yeah. Which is, I, yeah. So I didn't do it. I, I refused. I did not go to Narsh yet. Even though I know at some point I'm going to get my favorite character, uh, the Mog, right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it's pretty soon, hopefully, cause I'm going to be really disappointed if it's not, but but yeah, I mean, I, I thought that one good thing you can do, like, again, if you haven't done it in a while, is hang out on the Velt. Um, mm-hmm. I was very taken aback that even if you go visit the old man, he doesn't recognize Gal. Like, so I'm yeah. kind of miffed by that. Like, I don't know quite what to make of that. I, I was frustrated by that as well. So, but, but you also get to, I mean you get to um, gain some magic while you're wandering the belt. So you don't get experience, but you can learn some spells. Um, so I don't know. I felt like that was, again, like it's just sort of satisfying somehow to get to do that um, for a short time, at least before, you know, progressing the plot and whatnot. Um, oh my, oh my. Uh-oh. It sounds like it's, yeah, it might be that time. Um, any other big topics that we should sort of go back and um, bring bring back into focus uh, with our new vantage point here? Um, not sure I can think of one. I guess, like, one thing that I was kind of struck by, and I know that I'm getting a little ahead of you on this one, but upon returning to Narsh, when you meet Bannon, he tells you that, like, everyone in Narsh is now fighting on the returner's side. Like, they've all 100% converted. Um, which, you know, is nice. But then Bannon immediately is like, so here's this mission that only you can do. And it's like, I don't know. I remember hanging out with Bannon and Bannon being a great healer and Bannon also getting one-shotted by Ultros at one point and me being really annoyed about it. Um, And to this point, I I feel like I've got this very cold relationship with Bannon. Like, you know, he's he's a good guy. He's certainly fighting the good fight, but... He also keeps, you know, ordering us around <laughs> when we're doing all the hard work. Um, 
and it is you've been doing some politicking though in the meantime right yeah like getting the returners on the same side is you know important work in its own right i suppose but it's sort of it's sort of weird that you know you wander around the imperial continent for as long as we have at this point like going through that vector going through the magitech research facility seeing how widespread the discontent with the imperial rule is um and then you know bannon is apparently like the main architect who hasn't left nourish since we dropped him off there after the rapids trip like it just it's sort of unintuitive i guess like here we are having these wild crazy adventures and the politicking in the background seems so mundane by comparison yeah i mean so he i wish he could be a party member but at the same time we've got an awful lot of party members now yep it's getting crowded (laughs) sorry i think that i'm gonna sign off then probably a good bet go deal with william yep we'll talk later see if we can get to espers next time